Welcome back to another episode of Leap Into Wellness. My name is Anya Schooler. I'm your host. I'm joined today by Kyle Fofenbach and we have Laura Insko as well. This is going to be the last episode that Laura is co-hosting with us before she heads out of town again. So it's been awesome having her on the podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about a subject that a lot of you have had questions about, and that is blood pressure and steps that you can take to manage and prevent high blood pressure. Yeah, I think it's generally public health officials have done it and doctors have done a good job basically telling people that chronically high blood pressure is not good for you. Uh, But I don't think they've done as amazing a job just explaining what blood pressure is and, and how it's regulated and what it does and what it's there for and why we have it. Um, but yeah, it's, this, it's very accessible. You just put the cuff on and you get the information. And then they tell you this is, you know, this is good, this is bad, this is getting bad, this is improving, this is not improving. But there's, there's not a lot of context around what, what kind of blood pressure is, why, why we measure it, why we track it, those types of things. So hopefully we can fill in some of those gaps. Yeah. Well, in the testing we do in the Leap Lab, we kind of do the same thing. We're like, blood pressure is important to manage. Yeah, exactly. And then exactly. we don't talk about it yeah. a lot. So that's where yeah. we're remedying we the problem right now. In the, uh, in the packet. Yeah. We t- talk a little bit about it in the packet. But I think a more in-depth discussion and the fact that a lot of people have asked us for more information on it. I think shows the need to sort of talk about it more and explain it a little bit more. So this should be fun. The, the goal is to provide as much information as we can. We're not providing, you know, direct medical advice. We're not doctors. We're not doing that. But we can uh, real doctors. I, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Pfaffenbach over here. Real, real doctors. Uh, not book doctors. Let's start just at the beginning um, and talk a little bit about what blood pressure is. Laura, you've done a little re- research on this. Do you think you can talk about that? Absolutely. Um, so a lot of you are probably familiar with the two numbers that you get um, in any blood pressure reading. And the top number is what they call the systolic blood pressure. And that's actually a measure of the pressure um, during your heart's contraction. And then the bottom number is the diastolic blood pressure, and that is the pressure measured between your heartbeats. I'm gonna, I have a follow-up question yeah. for you. Um, why, wh- where is this pressure coming from? What, what are you measuring the pressure of? The pressure that you're measuring is the, the force of the liquid blood in your arteries and that pressure that they're putting on the walls. Yeah. So, and where, which part of your vasculature, where are we mainly measuring blood pressure? So if we have the piping and we have the pump, the heart is the pump, the vasculature is the piping, Mm -hmm. which, which part of the piping mainly is under pressure? That would be the arteries. The veins have comparatively less pressure because it's flowing back to the heart at that point. Yeah. So, so as, as blood is going, traveling away from our heart, to the tissues that need that, that oxygenated blood. Um, it's, it's under pressure under those circumstances. And everyone knows, or m- many people know, 
it's it's way worse to to get an injury that causes a severed artery than it is an injury or a cut that causes a severed vein because the veins are under way less pressure not to be too gory but but if you cut veins the blood just sort of oozes and your clotting factors have time to take place and those types of things whereas if you cut an artery and it's under pressure um, you really have to cover that wound and apply a lot more pressure. The closed system is really important here because it's it's just like having a bunch of um, holes in your garden hose. Uh, you lose the you lose the water pressure because it's leaking everywhere, and and that's not an ideal scenario. So I have a question about blood pressure, um, and that is why when you have healthy blood pressure or like 120 over 80, which is kind of the, the goal margins standard, yeah. Why does a strengthened heart, okay, sorry, I'm gonna have to back up. <laughs> let, me, let me back up here. So I did a little bit of research in preparation for this. And one of the reasons why um, exercise improves your blood pressure is because it increases um, the efficiency of your heart. So why then do both the numbers go down? Wouldn't that, if your heart has increased efficiency, wouldn't you have an increased stroke volume? Why wouldn't you have an increased systolic blood pressure? Okay. <laughs> so it's a totally reasonable question. So the, the first thing we have to do is visualize this as like a very dynamic system with multiple ways of regulation. So one of the ways that we can regulate our blood pressure is at the site of the pump. And that's what you're referring to. Um, so the, the pump, uh, if it becomes stronger, then it can pump more blood per pump. That's called stroke volume. And when you take stroke volume and you multiply it by the number of beats per minute, so your pump per minute, that number is what's called your cardiac output. And so stroke volume times heart rate equals cardiac output. When we look at the uh, plumbing, when you, when you look at the tubing, what did I call it before? Piping, piping, yeah. Okay, so, so then when we examine the piping, that this is a dynamic system. So it's unlike piping in the sense that your vasculature can expand and contract. And it doesn't all expand and contract in the same way at the same time. And that's actually really important. So the whole system is super dynamic. And one of the things that happens when we exercise, for example, is our mean blood pressure goes up. Overall blood pressure goes up. Your heart rate goes up. At the same time, you're trying to circulate blood faster when we're exercising because there's increased blood and oxygen demand at your exercising muscles. And so what happens under these conditions is that overall there's arterial constriction. So the, the uh, vasculature gets smaller. And when you decrease the diameter of arterial vasculature, you therefore increase the pressure, right? So the, the analogy is like holding your thumb over the end of a garden hose. So you have the same amount of volume and it's coming at the same rate, or, or if you turn the hose up, you know, it creates more pressure when you put your, but the, you can really increase the pressure of um, the way that water is flowing if you maintain the flow and decrease the area over which it's flowing. Okay, so when we exercise, 
what we do is we increase all those things and our vasculature tighten, mostly uh, due to things like epinephrine, so, so fight or flight hormones that are associated with exercise, and our heart rate goes up. Now, as we exercise on a regular basis, there's a couple reasons why both the systolic and diastolic uh, blood pressure numbers go down. One is our heart gets stronger, which means it can pump more blood per beat, okay? So our stroke volume goes up, which means our resting heart rate, so the number of beats it takes to meet the cardiac output that's required for one minute of bodily functions, uh, that, that heart rate can go down because stroke volume has gone up. So that's one of the reasons why resting heart rate goes down. The, the reason why the systolic pressure goes down is because when we're relaxed, we should be in a what's called a vasodilated form. We should be, the, the blood, the vasculature should be in a more relaxed position as well. And exercise has a lot of health benefits in regards to blood pressure because one, it generates uh, local production of nitric oxide, which is a really powerful vasodilator, and that effect seems to carry over for about 24 hours after exercise. So that's one of the reasons why. So you have increased vasodilation. The other thing is, is when we exercise, when we go into our recovery state, we seem to have more of parasympathetic tone. So we, we have less epinephrine than when we're chronically stressed and not exercising, and that allows those blood vessels to relax. So we want the pump doing most of the work, and we want the vasculature being relaxed under those conditions. Yeah, so that, that's why both those numbers come down, because the whole system is basically, in essence, acting more efficiently. So you require less systolic pressure, you require less diastolic pressure, because the pump is more efficient and the pump is stronger. Plus, you have these local factors that have occurred because of the single exercise session that then help that vasculature relax. This answers the question or addresses the question that a lot of you have been asking when you've come in for testing, what can I do about high blood pressure? Um, and I think a really important aspect of this is that exercise has a transient effect on blood pressure. And so to get a meaningful change, it's important to exercise regularly. Yeah. So I think this is, this is absolutely right, but there's two sides to it. On the one hand, regular exercise does have long-term impacts on the health and strength of a person's heart. And if you if you have a stronger pump, then you require less pressure to meet the d demands of your body at rest, right? So there are long-term effects that do, that are also contribute. But as Anya said, and she's absolutely right, you get this like, it's, in, it's about a 22-hour period of time after exercise where you have lower blood pressure that you wouldn't have you wouldn't have had lower blood pressure that lower blood pressure effect if you hadn't exercised so you get the benefit every day the flip side of that is what you have to do it every day exactly and when we say exercise i think we should talk a little bit about what type of exercise we mean both cardiovascular exercise and resistance exercise have been shown to show this decrease in blood pressure. So you can do both types. And what's the third? What, what's the third possibility? Hit. 
No. Uh, it goes to. I'm putting on you on the spot. But wait, is it a subtype? No. Um, it's not resistance and cardiovascular exercise. Well, you said you can do resistance exercise or cardiovascular or exercise. Or a combination of both. Or you can do a combination of yeah, both. Yeah, exactly. That's right. I, I meant you're splitting hairs here. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. But it, I guess it's not in the sense of if you think that uh, you're only getting that that transient exercise benefit of blood pressure if you say walk on monday wednesday friday but then you do resistance training on tuesday thursday you're not missing out you're getting the benefit every day because of a combination of the two yeah um i i i don't know why this is but from what i've observed people often associate the benefits in blood pressure with cardio exercise yeah i mean i think that's just a historical thing. So the first studies to examine the impact of regular exercise on um, uh, reductions in blood pressure or on the impact of blood pressure did so with light cardio exercise. And so that's what we have the most data on. That's what's taught in medical school. That's what's taught in, yeah. So, so we just needed that data before recommending bodies like the American College of Sports Medicine and the American Heart Association and those types of organizing bodies got it to professionals start disseminating this different information. So yeah, it's just a, there, there was, there's no like conspiracy behind it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but there have been studies more recently that have looked at the effects of resistance exercise Correct. on blood pressure. Yeah. So I wanted to put that out there. Yeah. I think it's really important. And then uh, there is a really important 2023 paper um, demonstrating what other type of exercise is really can be really effective. Although I'm going on record as saying this, there's not there, there's not like governing body recommendations yet around this, but there's it those are coming um, because there's very convincing data that what type of exercise might even be more effective than either of the other two. Like isometrics? Yeah, it's isometrics. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Weird. So okay. uh, wall sits and planks uh, with continued breathing. That's really, really important um, because holding your breath increases your blood pressure. We don't have to talk about the, the, detail, the physiologic details of that, although it's interesting. But, um, but holding wall sits and uh, like body planks uh, and breathing through that um, is is very is really effective at lowering blood pressure. So with the strength training and aerobic training, they're recommending at least thirty minutes a day. With the isometric training, what's the time time? Yeah. So again, there are no recommendations, and so and this is not medical advice. We are not prescribing this to anybody. This is just information that's out there. You go find it. Um, but it looks like. Uh, four sets of two minutes with two minutes rest. Well, that sounds hard. <laughs> so, and that's the thing, like, so, so, and then there's now, this is why there's no recommendations around it because not everyone could just, uh, probably myself included, can just get off the couch and do a full two minutes of a 90 degree wall sit or like holding a plank on your elbows for two minutes is not easy, right? And so what they need to do is do all the studies to find out where the 
the adapted versions of the exercises that have shown to be effective fall in? And then are they safe for people with hypertension? Are they safe for normal intensive? And are they safe for people uh, with pre-hypertension? So those are the things that have to be kind of hashed out before you can make general recommendations. But the, the most recent studies demonstrate that and, and there's been studies where they've started at like 135 degrees and then worked down to 90 degrees and they measure blood pressure throughout that to find out what the curve is so that they can make recommendations on that and things like this. So stay tuned, but this is, this, this is one of those things where, and it could even be as, as simple as squeezing your hand, like hand grip double hand grip exercises that engage your whole arm and your chest and your core and holding those, uh, which is kind of like doing a plank on your palms instead of on your elbows. Um, Yeah, so isometric. The takeaway from that is that almost any type of physical activity that you enjoy will help with blood pressure pressure regulation. Both short-term and likely long-term as well. I have a question for you guys. Does the in, in the context of blood pressure, does the 30 minutes of exercise all have to come at once? No. Super important. Unanimous answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And correct. Yeah, so like why does that matter? Why does that make a difference? Well, I mean, just practically, if you're only able to exercise for five minutes, five times a day, I think that's a lot more manageable for a lot of people. 100%. Wake up in the morning, you can do five minutes then. 100%. In between class period. Exactly. I mean, this is why, this is why, like, one of the things we emphasize when, when people are in the lab and doing their walking test, um, we show you from an oxygen standpoint, from an oxygen consumption standpoint, from a metabolic standpoint, from a heart rate standpoint, from a blood pressure standpoint, walking is not nothing, and we are built to walk, and, um, and, and jog slowly, <laughs> but we don't have to get into that. But, but uh, we, we, really, we do really well and our body responds really well when we do that. And so managing that throughout the day to get a total of 30 minutes of exercise, I think is really important. And, and everyone that's come in and done the testing has seen within five minutes, your heart rate changes, your breath rate goes up, your, you know, we only do five minute stages for each thing, but that five minutes is enough to get you in what's called steady state, which is like the, the, you've totally changed your physiology in a way that is now allowing you to meet the needs of that effort. And it happens very quickly. Now, the one thing that I think as we talk about chronic diseases, some people call them lifestyle diseases. Some people call them non-communicable diseases, right? These aren't colds. They're not viruses. There is a genetic component, but they're not considered congenital. So these are things like type 2 diabetes, obesity, high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, atherosclerosis, stroke, heart attack. All, all these things that are considered like chronic, what we call chronic diseases. I think one of the most important things to appreciate about these types of diseases is that they happen on a continuum. So we have to have cutoffs for diagnostic purposes. So what, what's, the, what's the cutoff for high blood pressure, high systolic blood pressure? It's 140, right? 140, yeah, greater than 140. Is someone that is at 139 
perfectly fine. And someone at 141 is like, just put them out to pasture because they're over the, of course not. Right. And we've already talked about how dynamic blood pressure is. So like a very healthy person could easily have systolic blood pressure over 140 while they're exercising, but it's temporary and it's part of exercise and it's part of the milieu of exercise. And so that type of stress is actually short-term stress is actually beneficial. So we're talking about chronic resting blood pressure that's on a continuum. So 120 is better than 130, which is better than 135, which is better than 140, which is, you know, and, and 150, 140 is better than 150. And so you really, this is why, you know, in, in our anonymous survey that we did at the beginning of the year, I think one of the questions we ask is, do you go to the doctor every year? Because this is, you want to build a knowledge database of like the direction that some of these long developing um, diseases take place so that, because it's better to address chronic high blood pressure when you're at 125 than it is that when you're at 150, because it's on a continuum. The reason why I bring that up is because if you are currently, if you do currently have high blood pressure, so the doctor has diagnosed you with high blood pressure, you do need to talk to your medical professionals before you engage in like vigorous physical activity and those types of things. Because if you are far along on that continuum, um, exercise can open you up to like acute cardiac events that, that are not, um, that we want to keep you safe from or that people want to stay safe from. So again, this isn't medical advice, but, uh, we do, we do want to keep, we want to bear that in mind. And what happens is that if a person is at 140 or 145, they might need to start slower and they may start with a combination of blood pressure drugs and exercise. But as they engage in these lifestyle changes and see improvement, um, they increase their capacity for vigorous exercise and those types of things. So what's, what's the best way to gauge whether or not you're doing moderate exercise? Heart rate. Okay. What, what's another best way? Perceived exertion. Yeah. Perceived exertion. <laughs> that's the answer you were looking for. <laughs> that was the one. Now, now, heart rate can be really cool, and that's one of the things that we do for, for the teacher subjects and the staff subjects that come in, right? We, we put you through a, a treadmill test of different versions of moderate walking. I, I, nobody has not been able to finish it because it, it's by design, it's meant to be a moderate version of walking, right? And then you get different heart rate information out of that and we can give you that information so that you have Fitbits and those types of things. But just as important as using like heart rate monitors is how you feel and you can trust that. That's, I think one of the most important things we can encourage people is that you can trust how you feel because that's gonna change day to day. And if you're feeling good, go walk some hills. If you're just, if you're not, then go, but, but get your work in, um, and you can sort of modulate the intensity of that work based on how you feel and what Laura correctly answered, not Anya. <laughs> <laughs> Rated perceived <Shame>. exertion. <laughs> Shame. 
Yeah. Uh, so I think it's important that we also talk about nutrition before we get too, too far into this podcast. Kyle, will you talk about um, things you can do in your diet? Yeah, definitely. I, I think the thing that is the most common recommendation for dietary recommendation for lowering blood pressure is to reduce salt intake. And, and I think that one, I think it's good for just people to initially become aware of how much salt they're getting in their food and, and how much salt is in things. So do either of you know off the top of your head what the recommendation is for someone that's trying to control blood pressure through diet, what the recommendation is for salt intake in a day? I have no idea. No? So it's about 1,500 milligrams of sodium is, is sort of the cutoff where you want to be around. Now It's interesting because I don't think that means very much to very many people. Exactly. Most people don't. Yes, 100%. And so 1,500 milligrams of salt is only, it's less than a teaspoon. And a pinch of salt, like just a, a healthy pinch between two fingers, is, is 500 milligrams. So three pinches of salt per day. Like one of those fast food salt packets has a teaspoon in it. And, and this is, the reason why this is important and the reason why salt matters is because your body likes to have a set ratio of sodium to water. So the more sodium you have, the more water your body retains. The more water your body retains, the higher your plasma volume is going to be. So the more liquid you have flowing through the pipes, uh, the higher the pressure is gonna be. So the, why are you laughing? I'm just glad you're explaining this because if you asked me to do it, I would have like talked about um, osmotic pressure and the renin angiotensin <laughs> system and it would have been a mess. Yeah. The, the hyperto so cool. hypertonicity and, and, and tonicity across cell membranes is <laughs> yeah. beyond the scope of this. That's, uh, that's why I'm laughing as, uh, you're, okay. as you're... Yeah. So, so yeah. Like stick with so, the garden hose. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, so yeah. So we, yeah. So, so we want to maintain that. So the more salt you eat, the more water you retain. Now the story around this is totally different for people that are like doing manual labor outside under hot conditions, athletes that are like, and, and this actually brings up, I think something that can be really confusing to the general population. Cause you see things like, noon and kinder light and gator light and people talking about the importance of electrolytes but then on the other hand you have doctors telling you don't eat any salt well electrolytes are salt mainly and so there's some confusion there well in individuals that don't have high blood pressure that are exercising a lot and sweating a lot we lose a lot of salt in our sweat and we need to replace that when we replace our hydration that's totally different than what we're talking about here um so so adapting a low salt diet can be important, but it's detrimental in other conditions. And this is one of the things where people just want to throw their hands up around nutrition. It's like, you know, one day chocolate's good for you and the next day it's the worst thing you've ever had. And the one day, and it, again, it goes back to that idea that everything's on a medium. These are, we're complex biological systems. We're not um, just simple mechanical um, things that, that, where one set of inputs and outputs are, are what's happening with everybody. That's why it's so interesting to talk about the physiological processes behind these things. That's I what think. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think all of us agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I 100% agree because it's, and it, I think it does a disservice to people to just tell them, like, I think it's insulting to um, just assume that they can't handle complex information. 
in, in a way that's like, oh, under certain conditions I need it, you know, because then all of a sudden you have a, a high school athlete uh, who's worried about a salt intake because their parents have been told by their doctor that their salt, that salt is bad, for example, where it may be the complete opposite. And for that person, they need more salt so they avoid cramping and they can maintain their hydration levels and those types of things. So we've talked about the concepts behind like blood pressure, why we care about it, what it is. I've laid out this, I'm sure, crystal clear explanation around <laughs> garden hoses and plumbing and piping and tubing and pumping. We've also talked about how like salt influences this, how it works on a continuum, how it's a long-term thing. But the one thing we haven't talked about is the role of blood pressure at rest and one of the biggest things get that can affect that. So do you know what I'm talking about here, Anya? Of course. <laughs> stress. <laughs> yeah, of course, stress. Yeah, so just break that down a little bit. Tell us, tell us why um, blood pressure is related to stress. We've alluded to the primary mechanism, which is sympathetic nervous system activation. So what, what is the... What's the lay terminology for sympathetic nervous system? Activity? Fight or flight. Fight or flight. We've right? talked about this in, in, in the testing sessions as well that you've come in for. This ties directly to the mindfulness practices that we show you and the breathing techniques that we do when we're trying to lower your sympathetic activation and increase your parasympathetic or your rest and digest. The hormones that you release when you're in that fight or flight state cause vasoconstriction. And so with Kyle's pump and hose analogies, it increases the amount of blood, the volume that your heart is pumping, and it also makes the vessels narrower. So when you're at rest, you're not exercising. You don't need to have this fight or flight stimulation, but when you're stressed, your body is telling you that you're in this dangerous situation and you have high blood pressure when you don't need it. And that's one of the main reasons why you have this chronic over time high yeah, exactly. blood pressure. So, I mean, we, the way we were sort of designed, built, evolved, uh, is that uh, the main things that have typically threatened our existence have been uh, those of physical nature. And so when we perceive a threat, we have a physical response that gets us ready for fight or flight. There's a disconnect with the things that threaten us in modern society, which are things like deadlines. The things that are stressing us out are not physical threats, that, and, but yet they cause this increase in our heart rate and this constricting of our vasculature because mainly because of epinephrine or adrenaline. And so the one thing is we know that exercise then relieves that. And, uh, you know, when I talk to, when, when people come in and, and just are, we're kind of explaining these things and some benefits for exercise, uh, one of the things I say, especially for hard training athletes, is that, um, you, you know, your, your brain's really happy after you run and then you stop running and go into a rest mode because the whole time it's thinking, I'm about to get eaten. Your lizard brain is thinking I'm about to get eaten. And then you stop and you're resting and you aren't eaten and, and now your body's really happy. It's it's just one kind of way to think about why we have to do this thing that that no other like hunter-gatherer culture has to do, which is get on treadmills and walk to nowhere just so that we can give our body this thing that it needs that isn't required to function in modern society, but the body needs it. 
And I think that's really important. So when you're stressed all day in the classroom, when you're thinking about deadlines, that will take a toll on you. And exercise as well as breathing exercises, because when we take long, slow, deep breaths and we focus on something outside of our body, that's kind of the idea behind mindfulness, um, our, our brain realizes that it's actually not under any threat and it begins to relax. And um, when you do that on a regular basis, that will improve blood pressure. I think that that's a really good connection to make. Because again, in the limited time we have when people are in the lab, we talk about, oh, there are so many benefits to mindfulness. This is one of the very specific benefits. This actually has me thinking, We, because one of the things we don't do when we're measuring their response to like dedicated breathing exercises, we don't measure their blood pressure throughout. Oh, yeah. So we could do like pre post blood pressure throughout that or at, at the three minute mark. That'd be and cool. And we could kind of chart that and see what the blood pressure was coming in and then what it does as they sit and relax. And for the listeners who um, haven't come in yet, um, who want to know what we're talking about with this breathing, <laughs> uh, all we do is have them sit and it's a six second inhale and a six second exhale. So you could even just sit there and, and count that out yourself or they have apps um, that can help guide you with that. Or you could come in and or, get yeah. your, yeah, 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 yeah. Come in. What are you insinuating, Laura? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that was sort of like, just do this on your own. Don't, <laughs> don't come in and see these people. You could be independent or you could come see our faces. So. <laughs> yeah, come in. Do, do the thing. It's, it's super fun and it's interesting and we get to break down more of these discussions. And, and we're really thankful for people that have been listening so far. It's been really cool to see the, the listens um, kind of go up and hopefully this takes hold and we can keep it going. Yeah. Well, this has been cool. I think that we've talked about some kind of more well-known areas of blood pressure management, like exercise and reducing sodium intake. And then we've also talked about some other mechanisms that people might not be quite as familiar with, like stress management and how exercise specifically relates to stress management. Do you guys have anything else that you want to add? Come participate in testing. Yeah. We want to send see us, you. Send us questions. We're here for you. Yeah. And send us questions. Oh, and I think we have a date for our next cooking class. I think it's uh, February 29th. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. We want to do a accompanying podcast episode with that. So we're going to start plugging it now. We're going to do a nutrition and cooking class. And the week before, we're going to release a podcast episode that talks about a lot of the nutritional principles that we're going to share. So stay tuned for that. Yep. I think that's great. Thanks, guys. Bye, Laura. Can't believe you're... <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much Laura for having me. here on... Uh, well, it's not... It's like the opposite of sabbatical. <laughs> she, she came over for a couple of weeks to help us with data collection, and now her time is up. So thanks for being here. Thank no, you for you having me. No, you reminded me. Now I'm sad. <laughs> see, I guess we better end this. Yeah. We'll see you next time.